Uh, Chava Willig Levy has written a book, a memoir entitled A Life Notwithstanding. Chava Willig Levy is an award-winning author, editor, advocate, and motivational speaker with a particular interest in childhood, parenthood, Judaism, music, disability, and the quality of life. Millions of people have read her articles, featured in national publications. Website is chavawilliglevy.com. Uh, there you'll see her uh, lectures, workshops, and publications showcased. There is a second website devoted to the memoir, a-life-not-with-standing.com. It's a life notwithstanding with all the dashes in there. She lives on Long Island with her husband and children. Chava Willig-Levy, welcome to JM in the AM. Good morning, Nachum. It's great to be with you. I greatly appreciate that. I, um, I, I think it's not a coincidence that you are here and speaking with us on Rosh Chodesh Adar. And how, how so? And I say that because uh, it is very easy in life uh, to be down and be despondent and be sad and and wallow in the sadness of one situation. Mm-hmm. And you've taken a very challenging situation. I think you'd call it that, and you could tell me in a m- minute if you would. And uh, I believe you're one of the happiest people in the world. And it sounds like after I read the book, you come from one of the happiest families around. Baruch Hashem, absolutely, and um, and thank you for the compliment. Um, I will say, um, and I think it's an important thing to say, um, that you know when I give my various workshops or lectures, you know people sometimes come up to me and say, "Oh, you know, after hearing you speak, I, I, I just I don't think that um, I, I just would feel so guilty if I were to feel sad sometimes. After all, you know." I don't get around in a motorized wheelchair like you, and and you seem so happy. So I really do feel as a public service that I should tell you and everyone who's listening that occasionally I'm a really big fetch. <laughs> and I, I can be in a bad mood sometimes. And um, you know, I would hate for people to think that, you know, somehow I'm different from the, the average Joe in that regard. So, so let me put it differently. Would you agree then that in order to excel when life presents you with challenges, you generally, a person generally, has to have a positive and happy attitude? Oh, absolutely. No, there I, I certainly agree. Um, and in my particular situation, um, a very critical piece was recognizing um, that it's just, it's society out there that has the problem and not me. Um, and that has really was an anchor that I held on to, uh, especially when I realized that, um, you know, I wanted to get married. And it seemed to me that people were telling me that, you know, listen, we really admire you. You're so smart. You're so uh, talented. Um but not for my son, you know, that kind of message. And uh, it was very difficult that whole decade. Um, basically what kept me going was just saying, you know, it's, it's the society that is maladjusted, not right. me. We're, we're the ones who would say to someone like yourself, you know, you can't do this or it's impossible for you to dream about doing this. And, and, and your retort is, you know, I could do whatever I would set my mind to do. Yes, with, you know, with, with of course, the help from the, from the Kaddish Baruch Hu yeah. and, and my wonderful family. 
Chava Willig-Levy with us. All right, so to explain and to give some background to our audience, especially for those who may not have heard of you at this point in our community, I find that hard to believe, but you never know. Um, at some point past your third birthday, uh, it, it was discovered you had polio, right? Right. It, well, polio is a virus, and um, actually the polio vaccine, the Salk vaccine, was announced as working, which was a great you know, day of jubilation. Um, that was... Uh, April uh, 14th, 1955, and in August of 1955, August 13th, 1955, um, I contracted polio. My parents had done everything to avoid this nightmare because the it took months for the vaccine to get distributed across the country. And we lived in Brooklyn at the time, and everybody knew that polio um, would rear its ugly head in um, in big cities and in the summertime. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. So my parents went to the country for the first and only time in our history, and it was up in the country that I contracted polio. There were hundreds of children in that bungalow colony, when you first contract polio in what they call the acute phase, polio is very contagious. Not a single person in the bungalow colony contracted polio except me. So I, I really do feel that as much as I wish I didn't have a disability, um, I really do feel that Hashem, for reasons that are beyond my comprehension, came so to speak, and said, no, this is this is what is your mission in life. Right. And uh, anyway, so and, polio, and, and, and most that... people who contract polio um, end up exactly the way they were before, but um, in my case, many, many of my muscles are paralyzed. My legs um, are quite compromised. My arms are really extremely almost completely paralyzed, um, and my breathing is also compromised because of the polio. Right. I was in an iron lung for a while there. Chava Willig-Levy is with us. Uh, the book is called A Life Notwithstanding. To explain to our audience who may not be familiar, and, I, and I'm a little bit younger than you, so I, even I don't remember the uh, the, the way it um, uh, dominated this country's uh um, uh, conscious at that time, the, uh, at, 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 around the time and before, around the era that you're referring to when you were a little kid and before that, the, uh, the polio was just, was rampant. I mean, and, and every kid had to be quarantined, right? Well, um, if somebody, if somebody contracted polio, then, uh, you know, of course that person, at, the, at least again for the initial phase, you know, would have to be kept in isolation. Right. Um, yeah. And uh, it, it, it was an amazing thing when the Salk vaccine was announced. Um, you know, it, it, there's not, it was nothing short of a miracle. About and it, about of course, it. I'm very proud that uh, Dr. Jonas Salk, who happened to be a Jewish person, right. Made, it really made me very proud. And by the time people in my age group are growing up, we don't even know of, of people suffering from polio our age. Correct. And um, I once just to say that once the polio vaccine, once the polio virus 
has kind of run its course, then at that point a person doesn't have polio, but may have the the consequences right. of the polio. In in most cases, people have no consequence whatsoever. And then, you know, there are other people, like, for example, of course, a very famous um, violinist, Yitzhak Perlman, right. you know, he his legs were very compromised, but thank God um, his arms, you know, were not, and we have such beautiful music because of that. Um, but my the reason that my book is called A Life Notwithstanding, in other words, five words instead of three, is because... And again, I thank Hashem that he whispered that title into my ear, Kivyachol. But if you were to take the words, a life notwithstanding, what you would be saying, if it were three words, is, well, she's had a life, you know, her disability notwithstanding, Mm -hmm. in spite of her disability. And my point is, a person with a disability can have an absolutely wonderful, complete, full, joyful life and not be standing. Right. Uh, when you mentioned the iron lung, how long were you in that iron lung? As, that was as a yeah. kid, obviously, right? Yeah, I was I was three years old, about, about four months. Do you remember any of that? Actually, no. I, I, there, the stories that I was told about it are so real to me that I feel as if I remember it. Um, you know, I... It, but I really don't. You know, I, I... But there were so many stories, again, that, that I was told. I, You know, I was told that... Um, well, actually, uh, I'll tell you, if I, if I have a moment, I'll tell you a wonderful story. Sure. Um, I live in Woodmere, and right when we moved here, which is about 12 years ago, um, I was going to a... Um, a shear given by Rabbi Moshe Weinberger Shlita from Eish Kodesh, which is our shul. And um, a woman was sit- sitting next to me, and old- she was older than myself. And I introduced myself. I said, I'm new here. And she said, oh, I'm, I'm new here, too. Uh, my name is Hindi. And it was very lovely to meet her. And then the, the next year, which was um, a month later, I believe, um, there was that same woman again sitting near me. I said, hello. And after the shear, she said, you know, there's something I want to tell you, but I'm afraid that if I do, it might upset you. I said, no, go ahead. What what is it? She said, when you were three years old and you contracted polio, I was the nurse who took care of you. Holy cow. Actually, she 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 was the student nurse who took care of me. And I cannot tell you what a gift that was because... She told me things that I, you know, didn't know. She told me that my father, you know, was there every day and davening and saying to Hillem right there by the iron lung. She told me how he would bring me a milkshake uh, because it was hard for me to swallow. And he would hold the straw to my mouth and try to get me to just take a little sip when the when the iron lung gave me that tiny pause in which I could swallow and how he knew I loved chocolate milkshakes. It was just an incredible gift. And, um, yeah, 
So I feel like I know what happened. Right. And and what age were you when you were in the Halo? A lot of people are familiar with the Halo, especially yeah. sports fans who know of you know athletes who go through those types of injuries. What age were you when right. when that I was? I was fifteen years old when I got my Halo. And the reason was, um, well, polio, um, among other things, um, gave me. Uh, severe scoliosis, Mm. a curvature of the spine, and, excuse me, if the the scoliosis were left unchecked as I was continuing to grow, um, the curvature would become so great that it could crush um, my ribcage and my lungs. So all my life growing up, I was always in something, like a body cast or a Milwaukee brace. Right. Not for a moment was I not, you know, with something. But the halo's unique, I assume, right. in that right. you cannot so, move, right? Right. So when I was 15, it was decided that I was grown enough that it was time to do the spinal fusion. Uh-huh. You see, if you do it too soon and the person continues to grow, right. then the fusion kind of won't you might need to have another fusion. So once I was 15, um, they felt that I was fully grown, and um, I went into the hospital. First, there were a bunch of, again, more body casts, and then they gave me this halo, which is a metal ring that is attached with four screws to your skull. And what they did was, every day, (laughs) they would, I hope this doesn't come out wrong, I, I was screwed. Right. Anybody who's had an exter- anybody who's had an external fixator knows what you're referring to. You know, right. pe- people have injuries there that were, require. There were um, weights right. on on the top and bottom of my bed. And every day, a little bit more, right? Right. Because the idea was to try to um, straighten me as right. much as possible before the surgery. So I was sort of stretched like that. Um, I guess you could say I, I got the rack, you know. Right. And finally, after about maybe four months of being stretched, they had they gave me the the actual operation. There are aluminum rods uh, in my spine, right. and um, and then after the surgery, I still had the um, the halo. I basically had the halo for about about ten months. And, um, I read about a concert you attended. That, <laughs> that was with the Halo, right? Yes, I was hoping you would mention it because, you know, I just realized um, today's February 19th. Every February 17th, every single year without fail, I remember that it was February 17th, 1968, that I had a dream come true. And that is um, I had fallen in love. Um, with a French singer. He happens to be a Jewish person, incredible human being. Many people in this audience know who he is, yeah. Really? Oh. He's been he's been on this show. I did not know that. Yeah, he's, I mean, years and years ago. You're referring to Enrico Macias. I am referring to the great Enrico Macias. And, um, and I don't know, does the name Erwin Frankel mean anything to you well only because i read your book and i re- okay. and i realized that you have a, a bigger favorite disc jockey than me <laughs> well, you know something you guys are in first place together but <laughs> erwin frankel may he rest in peace 
Uh, he passed away just a few years ago. He was at my wedding. He was at my daughter's wedding. He was at the wedding? Oh, my gosh. What a gentleman. And he was the disc jockey on WABC-FM, for, for those of you who remember those call FM folks. Right. He had a show <laughs> called Music from Around the World. My mother, Allah Shalom, loved music of all kinds, and we never missed his show. We listened to it at supper time. And one day, it was August of 67, so I was, not, I was in the hospital starting in September of 67, but in August, he played a song by this singer, a French singer, and after that first song, he said, you know, this guy's great. I want to hear the next track. <laughs> and basically, the entire hour was all this Enrico Macias. I fell in love with him because of this singer. I majored in French in college. Wow. And But the point is that... You know he has a lot of he has a lot of Jewish recordings. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, he, he, by the way, he just made Aliyah. Well, that's correct, right, right. Anyway, the thing is, um, about a month or two into my hospital stay, Erwin um, Frankel, who I listened to, of course, on my transistor radio. Remember transistor radios? Yeah, you had one that had FM. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, <laughs> and and they um, and he announced again. I was it was I was in my halo. And he said, oh, great news, Enrico Macias is coming to America for his debut, his American debut at Carnegie Hall. And I sent my father, Zal, to Carnegie Hall to buy tickets to, <laughs> for the whole family. I was sure that by February 17th I would be home. Right. And as the date approached, I was still very much in the hospital, and I had some kind of an infection after the surgery, and it looked like it was just never going to happen. And two days before the concert, the doctor said that I could go in a stretcher in an ambulance, and my father, we always called my father the arranger. Within one day, he got permission from Carnegie Hall for me to be in, an amb in, in a stretcher in the aisle of the orchestra. He got hospital permission for me to leave, he got permission from Enrico Macias for me to be there. Can you imagine your American debut at Carnegie Hall? Do you want a distraction of that kind? He said, of course. You, and he got me special halo, um, I'm sorry, prism glasses. So you could watch it. So that I could see the stage because I was lying flat in a body cast in, you know, with my halo. Um, I tell you, it was a dream come true. And the great photo of you and Enrico Macias on that February date in 1968 in the book. The book is Chava Willig-Levy's memoir. It's called A Life Notwithstanding. Five words, A Life Notwithstanding. So many things to ask you about. You know, you mentioned your parents. Yes. Uh, and, and, and people who wonder just how important it is to have encouragement and assistance and guidance from parents. And in, in many cases, uh, you know... It, it's, a, it's amazing what mothers can do. It's amazing what fathers can do. But when the combination is right, when you have this incredible showering of love, support, and encouragement, and confidence building coming from both, there's nothing like it. Absolutely. I'm truly blessed in that regard. Um, you know, having a disability is no picnic. But when there are people around you 
who are basically, without even giving a lecture about it, are basically saying, hey, you're just one of the, you know, you're one of the family, you know, and there isn't any clucking of, or even things like refuah shalema. You know, I personally, you know, I mean, of course, as I've gotten older, I've learned, I think, to be kind of gracious, of course, but (laughs) when I'm at a wedding and a stranger will just come up to me and say, refuah shalema, inside what I'm thinking is, wait a minute, having a disability, a disability is not an illness. I don't, I mean, my disability, I, I, I I didn't ask for it, I don't want to have it, but it's not an illness. Um, nobody gave me any lectures about that growing up. It was just the way things were. And, um, you know, what can I say? Um, I think my life is a good life, thank God. A lot of wonderful adventures, and many of those adventures, you know, happened because I happened to have a disability. Were your sibling experiences similar to most families' sibling experiences? <laughs> Absolutely. And this gives me an opportunity to say, one day late, <laughs> happy birthday, David. <laughs> my, my, my baby brother, David, I call him my baby brother. I look, Who is when known- I say that I look up to him, I mean it not just literally. <laughs> he happens to be the tallest uh, member of our family. But when my brother, David, was born, I was two years old. And my father... This is a this is a legend that is so real that I remember it, Kailu, um, as if I really do remember it. But when he told me, "You have a you have a new brother, you have a baby brother," the words that came out of my mouth and believe me, it gets quoted at every Sheva Brachos uh, at which I speak. Um, my words were, and I quote, "Throw him in the gabbids." <laughs> And boy, how how things have changed! Thank God, I mean, he's he's really an incredible person, and you know we're very close. And I, of course, I feel the same way about my other siblings. I'm, I'm truly blessed in that regard. Well, look, uh, many people in this uh, in this audience know how prominent a family you come from and how amazing your siblings are. Uh, I, I I have pointed out many times that I've had the privilege of uh, being the shliach um, tzibur. Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur at the New Springville Jewish Center, all, uh, the repertoire, all, all filled with, uh, the Nigunim taught to me by Rabbi David Willig. So. Um, I always. And, and you probably have also heard Avraham Willig's album. And I've, <laughs> I have a long history with Avraham Willig. And yes, we have played his CD prominently here on the show. Five minutes before the hour, Rosh Chodesh Adar morning at JM in the AM. Mishanichnas Adar Marvin Besimcha. And one of the happiest people I know is Chava Willig Levy. The memoir is entitled A Life Notwithstanding. So I'm sure there are a lot of curiosities among this audience this morning as they hear your story. What year did you get married? We got married, um, in August of 1983, um, I was 31, and how I met my husband is too long for now. I, <laughs> I'm afraid that uh, I'll monopolize your entire program. <laughs> but you, but, but you, is, but you, is, but you, God, such an amazing, lit, just such an amazing, miraculous story of Hashkacha Pratis. The chapter in my book, which which describes that story, 
the chapter is called Since I Fell for You. Right. And, and, and excuse the question and the way I'm going to ask it, but there are people who, especially when they hit a milestone age, 30, for instance, would be considered a milestone age. And Start wondering, you know, is this ever going to happen? Am I going to accomplish this or that? And, of course, marriage in our community is a very significant milestone. Uh, were, were you um, levied with a negative attitude at that time, wondering if, in fact, this will ever happen? That was a very cute sentence. Were you levied? <laughs> that was good. i gotta remember. I got to remember that one. You like that. Uh, <clears throat> oh, I mean, the, the feeling of despair... Um, you know, was was very real, and um, you know, it was over a decade of of wanting to be a part of this um, privilege of that that we in our in our, in the Jewish world recognize marriage to be, um, and feeling somehow that I was being told, no, we're, you, we're not letting you in, you know. It was it was a terribly difficult time, and plenty of people gave that signal, right? Oh yes, and how? In other words, um, you have to come to grips with the fact that you will never be married, right? Or well, that is to say, I have to come to grips with the fact that there are many, many people, maybe even maybe even the majority of people in my world, who really don't think that I will ever get married, right? And what I held on to. For dear life was two things um, in ascending order that there were people who did not think that way that who really did think that some very lucky man is going to find me and beg me to be his life partner but the more important thing was the fact that you know if Hashem wants something to happen it will happen I'll, and a, a just a small moment of thanks to a great a gadol that I'm sure you know, Rabbi Grossman from Migdal or oh, Migdal yes. HaEmek. Oh, yes. um, he was the first person um, in, I, in the fundraising world who realized that the singles community, like the Upper West Side community, which right. is where I lived as a, a, an older single before I was married. Somehow he realized that there were these people who were making really good money and did not have responsibilities yet, like sending kids to school, you know, tuition. And he arranged for a parlor meeting to tell about his wonderful work. And the first words out of his mouth when he began to speak were, Rabot machshavot belev ish, v'atzat Hashem hitakum. Um which in English, you know, there are many, from, in, from Tehillim, there are many thoughts in the hearts of a person, but it's Hashem's, um, how would you say, atzat, Hashem's... Ad, uh, uh, advice, guidance? Guidance, yes, that will in fact take place. Now he was referring to the fact that people told him, what are you, crazy? You're from Dmeya Sha'arim, and you're a, you're a chassid with long payas, and you want to move up to the north to a very <laughs> impoverished Sephardic community? Are you crazy? So he said, you know, those were that's those were the thoughts, you know, believe each in a person in people's hearts. But you know what? I said to myself, Hashem, if he wants it to work, it's going to work. Right. And of course, it's 
it sure did in his case, thank God. Right. The point is, when he said those words, I, I, I turned it inward, and it gave me incredible chizuk. If Hashem wants something to happen, it will happen. Was there a close friend, non-relative, who was helpful to you with that, who who was encouraging and, and always felt all along that, that that lucky guy would come along? There were several. Um, then you're lucky. I am very lucky. I am extremely lucky. You were surrounded by people who understood how how wonderful a wife you would be. Yes, and, you know, I just realized that my, my, my again, my baby brother, when he got married, you know, before, well before I did, right. and he knew that that was going to be very difficult. Right, you're right about and, that. Yeah, so what he did, and I should just mention these two people by name, it was he who, right before he got engaged, he sort of arranged for me to meet two wonderful women. One of them, you, I'm sure, know, uh, Dr. Rivka Blau. Sure. Um, and the other is Mrs. Marsha Greenwald. Right. And, to, and they became incredible sources of support in this regard. And to, thank God they should live and be well to this day. They are extremely close friends. Rosh Chodesh Adar with Chava Willig Levy. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world in the web, jmnam.org. We welcome those tuned in around the world on the NSN app, the Nahum Siegel Network app. Greatly appreciated. You could use the app to comment on anything you hear on this program. Um, one of the things you write about is the transition to a motorized wheelchair. And for you, that was a life-changing event, right? Absolutely, because... I, my arms are too weak to propel a manual wheelchair. Um, and having a motorized wheelchair, wow, it is liberating. Um, many people use the phrase confined to a wheelchair. Nothing could be further from the truth. What? Um, I mean, <laughs> I, this, the particular chair that I have now, it can go eight miles an hour. And I just zip around town. That's faster than I walk. <laughs> um, um, yes, you, I beat you at every in every race. And and my and my this particular chair also has um, I guess what you would call an elevator feature. I press a button and the and the chair can go up. Let's say if I want to reach an elevator button right. or um, uh, I'm checking if my chicken soup is boiling yet, <laughs> it can go up. And um, Kanahara, my granddaughter, who's Two years old, her name is Tamima, and she'll say, Uppy, Uppy. And by that she means she wants to see the chair go up. <laughs> she likes the free ride, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah. She, it's, it's, thank God. The, uh, please, I, you know, I, I don't know how, I don't know how these questions come out if people think I'm being, uh, a, I love the question. Yeah, people think I'm being a little too direct, but, but you're a mother. Thank it, God. Does, yes. does, does raising a child and um, let's put it this way, with all that a mother has to do in order to raise a child, is a child missing anything, or is it more, or is it much more difficult, or, or do they have to adjust too much more because of your situation? It's a very legitimate question. I, I do appreciate the, that you're giving me a chance to um, address this. Um, my husband and I, we both have disabilities. My husband is blind since birth. Right. 
And I think that both of us feel that our children, yeah, there, of course there are things that we could not provide them with. I mean, we couldn't take them on a skiing trip, let's just as an example. But on the other hand, you know, thank God, I think our home was a, a home filled with love and laughter and music and, um, you know, there, there were loads of things we did get to do with our kids, We'd take them you know, whatever, to the Big Apple Circus. Right, but, I, but I'm not even talking about trips and vacations. I'm, I'm talking about the basic things that a parent, you know, needs to do just to raise a child. I mean, all, all, uh, all those okay. things, thank uh, God. Okay, so I see. So, first of all, when they when our children were babies, um, there there was help always uh, in, the, in our apartment. Um, I, you know, my husband was at work, and, you know, I was not able, for example, to... Um, you know, to lift um, my babies, to um, diaper a baby. But let's say when when that baby was being diapered, whether it was by my husband or by, you know, the, the helper that was there, I was right there, you know, right. cooing, cooing and talking and singing to my children. And in many cases... Uh, I, was, I was able to nurse my children, but again, there was somebody helping to position you know, the babies, um, where they needed to be. Right. Um, so, you know, there were plenty of things I couldn't do, but I was, you know, I very much there and, and very much, I hope, you know, the, the EMA. Um, if there's something I haven't answered, though, please feel free to... No, you're, you're doing very well, let me tell you. Chava Willick-Levy is author of the book, A Life Notwithstanding. She'll be at the Young Israel of North Woodmere this coming Saturday night. Matzei Shabbos, beginning at 8.30 p.m. The topic, A Life Notwithstanding, Reflections on Judaism and Disability. Uh, this uh, this event, this lecture, this presentation that you're giving on Saturday night at the Young Israel of North Woodmere commemorates the first yard site of Philip Bach. Is that the pr- correct pronunciation? Yes, indeed. Uh, could you tell us about Philip and why this is such an important um, uh, uh, yard site to commemorate? Absolutely. I did not have the privilege to know Philip, but um, he passed away a year ago. He was born with familial dysautonomia, which um, is a, if I understand it correctly, um, it's a rare uh, but a genetic right. um, disease that. I believe many um, of the people who have it um, are from Ashkenazic you know, backgrounds. Correct. And parenthetically, I just want to add that one of our dedicated listeners, Jay Mostel, leads the FD Now, is one of the leaders of the FD Now organization that's trying to come up with a cure to this terrible disease. I halavai, halavai. Yeah. I don't know. Um, you know, I'm not an expert on dysautonomia, but um, I do know. I knew someone. Um, actually, he was my cousin's cousin, and you know, as a youngster, I remember him very well, very fondly. And in my minimal understanding at the time, I knew that part of um, dysautonomia meant um, that you, you don't have tears. Right. But I realize that's only a very tiny, right. tiny piece of what can be, a, you know, obviously a life-threatening um, condition. Um, they write, they write here that in Philip's case, the condition never defined him, and I guess that's very important to you. Absolutely. I, you know, I feel, you know, had I had the privilege to know him, I would have, 
I think, considered him a soulmate. Um, his mother wrote me a beautiful email, and she said, I wanted you to have a better sense of him. And she said, I hope this doesn't sound morbid. And what I'm about to say, as far as I'm concerned, was the furthest thing from being morbid. Um, she said that what she sent me was a, uh, an image of the tombstone that she designed wow. um, for him. And it's got incredible images of, um, for example, he, um, he loved uh, math. So she had the number three and then a little smaller on top, another three, meaning three to the third power, right. which, is, which is 27, which is the age of, that he, Philip was when he passed away. And she's, he, he loved math, and, and he loved um, um, game shows. Um, so there was apparently a game show uh, station, uh, I, I don't know, G, GS, I don't know, I'm not sure what it's called, but she, in other words, she, she had images on the, on the tombstone of the things that made him come alive and, right. and gave him joy. And I... I, I I thought it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen, and um, in any case, I, I know I'm hoping that my words will make a difference. Um, I'm looking forward to it. The Chava Willigliwi at the Young Israel of North Woodmere this coming Saturday night. That begins at 8:30. The book is called A Life Notwithstanding. Uh, you got to do something that I never did. You went to New York's World's Fair in 1964. That fun. I I remember my late brother telling me about that and how incredible uh, an experience that was and how much he enjoyed it. It's funny. I love the photo of you (laughs) at the World's Fair. Yeah, with the, with the Unisphere in the yeah, background. Right there in the background. Um, a site that many of us know till this day because it's still there. And um, it, you have photos in here and uh, a discussion about your college years. Um, were you able to graduate and accomplish what any other you know, college student did and could have done in those days? Thank God, yeah. I, 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 yeah, I graduated, um, you know, if I don't mean to boast, but... You know, summa cum laude. And, yeah, my um, point being that un, un, unlike those who who felt the need to tell you that to tell you or give you the feeling that you know you couldn't get married or achieve certain milestones, when it came to college, people were generally, you know, I don't know, well, they, they 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 were they understood that you'd be able to accomplish that. Um, I think so. I will say, um, I have tremendous, tremendous um, hakara satov to Yeshiva University. Um, I did not go to any Jewish school growing up because the schools then were not at all um, wheelchair accessible. Right. Thank God we've come such a long way now in this regard. But back then, you know, I went to, well, to no school at all until I was nine. And then at that point I went to with horrible segregated um, classes for disabled children, totally, totally segregated. Finally, in high school, I went to a real, real high school and took classes with everyone else. Again, a public school, right. but it was at it was at Stern College that I got my first um, opportunity for a, a truly a Jewish education, and I'm very grateful. I will say that initially, um, when I applied to Stern, there was some hesitation. But once they met me, I think they realized that they could make it work, and I'll always be grateful to them. Um, 
after college, I went on for a master's at uh, Columbia in um, rehabilitation counseling. <laughs> it's funny. I thought I thought that I wanted to be when I was a child. I wanted to be a child psychologist for UNICEF because <laughs> <laughs> um, I loved languages and I loved children and I wanted to help people. But anyway, I so I I got my master's and then I started my doctorate at NYU in counseling psychology. I didn't finish my doctorate. I stopped like 18 credits short. I'm, maybe I'm talking too much. But no, you're fine. I, I'll explain just in a nutshell that um, at the time I was working as a, as a um, vocational counselor for the Department of Labor, and um, I was miserable. I was just so unhappy, and I had this epiphany uh, which in fact I talk about um, actually in the in the book, um, and I and I realized that the reason I was unhappy is that I was a, a, what I like to call a kosher ham. I I, I love the spotlight. I love I love telling stories at the time to my nieces and nephews, and here I was as a therapist, where I had to sort of squelch that part of me that really loves to communicate. And once I realized that, my career completely changed, and I got into a field that gave me great satisfaction. It was called management training and development. So I worked in a corporation conducting workshops, teaching managers how to be effective um, as counselors, as listeners, as communicators. Um, Anyway, so in in my career... Um, yes, I did run into prejudice, but um, thank God, it, you know, it was it was a good it was a good career, and I'm so happy to thank God have left it in order to raise my family. All right, a uh, couple minutes left. Um, when, therefore, based on what you're saying regarding the progress we've made, when you see a synagogue, for instance, mm-hmm. whose bima is accessible to wheelchairs, you find that to be very significant. Absolutely, and you know, I'm planning to mention this on on Motzei Shabbos. I think it's really quite compelling that the word for a shul is a Beit Knesset. Knesset meaning to be included, right? Um, to enter, um, and I think it's wonderful that shuls now are finally becoming accessible. Um, what What is your reaction when some people? Um, Find find themselves being impatient when a bus stops to make the proper arrangements so someone in a motorized wheelchair can get on that bus. Well, for me, by the way, the bus is a metaphor for freedom. Um, it's you know, I mean, in American history, riding a bus, right? Significant. I mean, right. I mean that, as we all know, right. many people were not allowed to ride the bus like everyone else. And certainly and, not uh, the front of the bus. And, yeah, front of the bus, back of the bus. Right. So for me, the bus is, is, is thrilling. And if people are annoyed, um, oh, I mean, at the beginning, when the buses first got the wheelchair lifts, there were people who were really, really annoyed. Right. <laughs> now, it's become so commonplace that I, I think people just are very ho-hum. ho-hum and the driver... And, and, and you know something? That's what I'm really after in life. I'm after the ho-hum. I don't want people to say, oh, isn't she something? Oh, isn't she? 
I'd rather people go, oh, Hava Willie Levy. Oh, yeah, she's the one that, that knows the lyrics to every Broadway song that ever came down the pipe. Right. And, and, she, you know, she, and she gets around in a wheelchair. And, by the way, the drivers are more proficient and much faster at it now. Oh, so. yes, and there's no more sabotage, <laughs> which there used to be. Oh, I didn't even know that. Oh, heavens, it's in my book, too. And, and it also, it, again, I'm sorry for being so personal, you, you mentioned breathing problems, for instance. It doesn't sound to me like your breathing now is labored. Is that something that comes and goes, or I just don't realize what you're going um, through? No, no, it's, um, thank you for asking. No, my breathing is, um, it, it doesn't affect my, you know, speaking and, um, in any way. Right. Um, but I use a ventilator at night when I go to sleep. And basically what it does is it lets my diaphragm, which is the breathing muscle, right. which is weak, it lets it completely take a vacation because it needs a rest, given that it's working very hard um, when I'm just up and about. And the funny thing is I'm not aware of it. I don't feel um, that I'm working hard because somehow the body knows that what it needs. So, for example, <clears throat> excuse me, um, there are muscles in my neck that pull air in when it when the body needs a little more air, something that you don't do, for example. Right. And I'm not even aware that I'm doing it. But if I happen to be in front of a mirror and I'm talking, I'll suddenly notice muscles in my neck that are kind of like doing something. Right. So again, I mean, Hashem really did some amazing, amazing things that the body knows what it needs. Um, but thank God, I mean, I'm a long way away from the iron lung. And based on the proof and the circumstances, as you describe it in your book, God chose you for this for whatever reason it was. Yes, and I'm, at, you know, it's a funny thing to say, but I'm, I'm grateful. I'm extremely grateful for the adventure. On, uh, many of us need Rosh Chodesh Adar to remember to be happy. What do you say to people who need constant reminders about happiness and joy to wrap things up, Chava Willig-Levy? What can you tell us on this topic well, uh, of happiness being a choice? Well, happiness is a choice, but I feel it's very important to say I want to, if anyone is feeling occasionally sad, I want to say, number one, I give you permission to feel sad. It's okay to feel sad. Um, I love the line in Davening, don't be afraid of a sudden fear. Any emotion, fear or sadness, God gave us that, and we shouldn't feel that it's a sign of being a failure. Of course, if one feels sad in a very profound and constant way, of course, reach out and get help. Everyone needs help on this re in this regard sometimes. Mm -hmm. But I repeat, yes, be happy, but don't put yourself down if occasionally you're not. Chava Willig-Levy at the Unusual of North Woodmere this coming Saturday night. The book is a memoir. It's called A Life Not Withstanding. I am highly recommending it. I can't thank you enough for joining us here this morning. Oh, do you mind if I uh, close out the segment with Enrique Almasias? Oh, wow, I'd love that. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much. Chava Willig-Levy, have a wonderful month of Adar, and good luck with the book and with the lecture on Saturday night. Thank you. Chava Willig-Levy with us on a Rosh Chodesh Adar morning, a Thursday at JM in the AM.
Enrico Macias. You'll read about him in Chava Willig Levy's book. That I guarantee you.